0: Welcome to the Performance Health Podcast. My name is Tim Karen. Today we're going to go through practical of contraction types. We're going to look at the eccentric, isometric, and concentric contractions and understanding what exercise to use them with based off a person's body type, as well as when we should be doing that based off either a strength and weaknesses assessment or a general physical preparation to specific physical preparation type of dynamic. If all this stuff is really helping, I recommend getting on the website, getting into the module because we have the written portion of it, we have all the graphics to go with it. it, just helps the whole entire learning experience, as well as we have a case study in which this month we're going to be talking about a NFL offensive lineman and how we're going to peak him concentrically to be able to be able to play at a high level at an NFL season. As well as check out here very shortly, we'll have the pre-order both on the website and through Amazon which will be featured all through our social of the book Strength Deficit, which is a really valuable tool to further understand this from a framework-specific standpoint. So I hope all this is helping. I really appreciate you guys listening. If you guys are on iTunes, make sure you like and subscribe. It makes a big difference for us. Just appreciate the support, and we'll see you guys on the other side. So if you listen to the principles, we talked about what is eccentric, concentric, and isometric contractions. What we're going to talk about here in this practical is, is, one, from an exercise selection standpoint, where should we be thinking about in terms of how to leverage eccentric, concentric, and isometric contractions, and then two, from a programming standpoint, and what I really want to get across on this is this idea that we really need to appreciate that we're, we're going to be Subjective to what we understand and readily have seen, and a large part of that's going to be influenced by concentrically oriented training. And I don't want to turn this into a uh, just bagging on concentric training or philosophies dictated by concentric training. But what you really see a lot is is a big influence on decisions, irregardless of maybe potential functional need and what we're seeing from a. Underlying metric standpoint or breakdown of what people are capable of at a given moment, and just defaulting to concentrically oriented training, and I I think that's a huge missed opportunity, you know. And we talked about in the principles is that organically from a motor learning motor learning perspective is if we don't have eccentric strength that's superior to concentric strength, we're never going to really. Figure out how to locomote as a bipedal Homo sapien, and then isometric strength in these transitional positions to get to—they are both yielding and overcoming. You know, so if I don't have this f- built-in infrastructure of eccentric and isometric strength, we don't even know how to move in the first place. So therefore, when we start to get to this—you know—outlet, and we just are leaving so much potential. I-, I think we need to really start to revisit that idea. So I'm going to start off with compound multi-joint movements, and where we should be thinking about from an eccentric, isometric, or concentric oriented position. So one of the things that we should think about first and foremost is what is their orientation, and this is, I think, this is a really, really important thing to work through. It's a very, when you really grasp it, it just makes a lot of sense. And I'll give credit to Bill Hartman on, you know, really coming up with this framework. But essentially, it's looking at someone's thorax position, so their, their sternum, their ribcage, their thoracic spine, relatively speaking to their pelvic position. And you see folks that have a wide orientation, meaning that their, their ribcage is laterally expanded, having a little bit more of an easier time to inhale, and are going to be therefore concentrically oriented. And I think we can go a little bit of a step further. Those are typically mesomorph body types. You know, so the the powerfully built people with higher lean muscle, higher muscle mass or cross-sectional muscle mass, they're going to probably have a predisposition to looking at being better at certain pushing or overcoming type activities. So again, they can inhale better, so they can take breath in more efficiently. Probably leads into a more efficient Valsalva. They... They have a higher cross-sectional muscle area and they're going to be more adept at doing pushing exercises. So if we're looking at that from just an arc, just a archetype of person of person of, or an athlete, you know, combination guys in football, linebackers, fullbacks, tight ends, maybe wide defensive linemen, all would have a higher predisposition to being better at concentrically oriented exercises. And you take an even extreme version of the the more endomorph body type that's just wide all over, then you even have a higher position of someone that's going to be really concentrically oriented and very adept at pushing exercises. But then you see on the other end of this more ecto body type or the person that's a narrow. So their rib cage is is compressed down and in they're going to be better at exhalation, right? So they have a harder time pulling air in, but they're more powerful at pushing that air out. And what this leads to them being pretty much better eccentrically, because they can exhale more efficiently, as well as going to be better at probably more pulling exercises. And I talk a lot about this in my book, Strength Deficit, and there's some modules I talk, dive into a little bit on it, but the architecture of the muscle kind of leads into this. And, I'll, and I'll, again, I'll give credit to credit where credit's due with Stu McMillan and Altus. He talked about with push and pull types being better at long to short, short to long, right? So if I'm a push person, I need to progress to their strength and start with their weakness. So I should go long to short. They're better at right off the blocks. So I need to start off with them and top end velocity, front side mechanic stuff, more tempo work, more reactivity, more eccentrically loading versus that person that's, better at pulling, they're gonna be more oriented to doing things with uh, eccentric or more more efficiently eccentrically, right? And again, going back to the archetypes we talked about in the principles module is looking at Usain Bolt versus Ben Johnson. Mesomorph, powerfully built, gonna be better off the blocks. Ectomorph, a little bit longer, gonna be really good in the back six, back 40, back 60 meters. And if we were pressing them against a wall and they had to say, what would you choose, squat or deadlift? Ben Johnson would probably choose squat and St. Bolt would probably choose deadlift, right? And we can start to use that as a model to build it off of. So when I'm thinking about what my exercise selection is, I think it's important to know what their potential is on that given exercise. And it might make the difference of someone who's more of a exhalation, narrow thorax is not going to do great with certain positions, right? And we can all see what potentially a basketball player is asked to back squat and how hard that might look like, right? That they don't have the strategy to control that much pressure because they can't inhale and create as much Valsalva. And they don't have as much of a cylinder to create force outwardly against. And one of the things I'll talk about is, is a couple different laws. Hook's law, which is creating force contingent upon the size of the cylinder. So if it's a narrow cylinder, you need to produce less force to push fluid down versus a wide cylinder, you need to produce more force to push fluid down. And then something like Pascal's, which basically looks at the size of the cylinder and change of that cylinder, dictates the velocity of it. So if I have a wide, wide, I need to have a low velocity to push force down. If I have a wide, narrow, I need to increase that velocity to push force down. If I have a narrow, narrow, I need to have higher velocity. And you should start to think really right away, if someone is a wide, narrow, so the the archetype that's perfect for performance that they're going to create a lot of pressure or a lot of force, and it's going to be a very fast release so they can release that fluid, pushing it down. When you think about our skeletal structure, our muscular system, it's really only controlling fluids within the body. It's really all it's doing. It's pushing fluid, just like the earth that most of our body is water. The way we manage fluids inside our body dictates our athletic performance and our resiliency and our safety. And this is, I think, a really important thing to note. But if I say that I want to utilize an eccentric strategy with someone who's more of a narrow type that's going to have a fast release and very low pressure or low force output. And I want to utilize a very concentrically limited exercise like a back squat. I might have a hard time being successful with that. Right? And we can think about weightlifters, right? Some of the best weightlifters in the world. The long, narrow type guys are the best snatchers. The short, squatty types are the best cleaners. And what is the, the rate-limiting step? It's the recovery from the bottom position. It's a lower load on a snatch than a clean, but the limiting factor for a snatch is getting it all the way up, more pulling. Same thing you'd say for the, the person that's going to struggle off the blocks. They can't create as much force. They can't respond to their... That much ground contact time is efficiently so they're going to make up whatever closed gap is on the back end. So, from an exercise selection, you know, we want to put them in a position to create as much architectural changes, as much nervous system changes safely to load them up appropriately. So, if I'm thinking about how do I create more of an adept, eccentrically res- oriented athlete for someone that needs to really increase their bandwidth. From a strength to weakness standpoint, so if I'm looking at a a mezzo that's really eccentrically weak, okay, well I probably have a lot more bandwidth to choose exercises that I can, like a squat or a bench. It's eccentrically loaded versus that guy who's more endo or narrow. I'm gonna have a little bit more bandwidth to utilize more pulling exercises like deadlifts and pull-ups. And it's not saying that we're not gonna squat our mesos or, or not gonna squat our endos or our narrow types. It doesn't mean that we're not gonna deadlift our, our, our mesos or our endo types. It's just saying where we're gonna be more successful with and what can we have a little bit more, a little bit higher ceiling with with certain exercise selections when we start to push thresholds to a certain peak, eccentrically, isometrically or concentrically. And hopefully that leads into the idea of where I'm mechanically advantaged from a yielding or overcoming isometric standpoint, right? So if I'm going to do something like isometronics, which is essentially getting to an end range and then trying to go a very short concentric overcoming isometric, or I should say very short concentric action, and then finishing off with an overcoming isometric at end range. So I can do that in a deep squat or the shin position on a deadlift. Or bottom position on a bench, or the top position on, let's say, a lat pull down, or something like that, or bent over row. That I'm going to have to really try to accentuate that person's ability to be successful. So if I have someone who's a mesomorph, I'm probably going to be better served to use isometronics with a squat type pattern. Versus someone who's a more of a narrow or an endo an ectomorph, I'm probably going to be more successful with utilizing isometronics in a deadlift like pattern. And I I could think about other strategies to try to get that similar input because I want to create structural balance and have equal stress between the anterior and posterior and the frontal and the lateral or the medial and lateral and then the transverse or the internal and the external type of strength or musculature or tendon and ligament stress that I apply. But I can think about this in the context of I have an ingrown thing knowing where I'm going to be more successful with. And I think that changes a lot of the narrative. And when you start to choose exercises, it might mean you need to use a slant board with a, with a mezzo or a, with a, a meso or a wide type because they can't maintain that pelvic position, relatively speaking to a wide lifted thorax, All right? The pump handle is lifted. The pelvis goes into an anterior rotated position and I can't balance my thorax to my pelvis. So they get a very hingy squat and I'm not loading the tissues that I want, and I get a very redundant pattern, right? You'll see a lot of the power lifters that are really successful talk about deadlifting is really hard for them to do on a very high frequency basis. A large part of that is because they have a very poor job of managing their thorax or their pelvis, so they have to push their hips back, and they get a very hingy type of squat. So we start to run into this issue of we're going to be limited what we can do biomechanically. So the answer is, okay, what do I need to do to load that person up successfully, safely, maybe I need to utilize a slant board with that person as opposed to just trying to jam them into a very hinge position or trying to do something from a deadlift perspective that they're going to really struggle with. And I think that goes into this other idea of, well, if I'm going to have poor, poor biomechanics from just my natural orientation for certain exercises, whether a squat or a hinge pattern, I can offset that with certain isometrics or certain isolation exercises that utilize a little bit more eccentric iso- isometric yielding or overcoming to complement that. And when I look at certain joints that are going to really struggle from a mechanical advantage standpoint, relatively speaking to what that body's natural orientation is from an inhale, exhale, wide, narrow, eccentric or or concentric, eccentric orientation, then I can start to think about ways I can complement these movement patterns that I have a greater propensity to, with some sort of some sort of complementary isometric or complementary isolation exercise. So, for example, that person that's very eccentrically oriented, exhalation dominant, narrow, I might need to utilize increasing cross-sectional muscle area on the quadricep because it's really hard for that person to do managing without the pressure of external load. It might mean I utilize a lot more of a unilateral approach. So maybe I do terminal knee extensions, maybe I do Maybe I do split squats to tap into this thing called bilateral deficit, which if I calculate the total sum of the load between the two legs, I have a greater load that I could do bilaterally for a lot of those athletes. Right, and what you'll see is that pressure is managed better because the load's lower, but the actual tonnage we use is higher because we have to aggregate both front, left and right as we're doing split squats. Right, so that person can only do 80 kilos on heels elevated back squat with a two 0 tempo for three, I might be able to do 60 kilos on a barbell split squat for three, which if I do the right left comparison, that's a double, that's almost 25 to 40% more load total than I could do for that guy. I don't want to get into the debate about bilateral versus bilateral deficit But I think we need to think outside the box and think from an exercise selection standpoint and what we could be successful based off of their their archetype and how they create pressure and how they manage that fluid inside their, between their thorax and their pelvis to create adequate eccentric, adequate isometric, adequate concentric orientation. So as we start to break down some of the movements we may or may not use, you have to think about where they could be successful and where do I know the inherent gap is. Right? So if I, have a, if I have a endomorph body type, someone who's really big, a 300-pound offensive lineman, a shot putter, and I know that they're going to be naturally inclined to be consensually oriented, so they'll be able to bench and squat a lot, but I need to complement that with some posterior chain upper back work to create structural balance to increase their bandwidth. And you'll see something along the lines of, and I think this was really creative back in the day, but Charles Paul used to use structural balance of external rotation and trap three and something like a posterior dowel power raise to create this stapler structure around that shoulder girdle. But what you also see is, okay, well, I'm going to be stronger eccentrically. So maybe I do a quasi-isometric eccentric pull-up variation. So I'll do maybe 50 x tempo for reps. Maybe I'll do a, a three-position yielding isometric strategy for reps. Maybe I'll utilize different tools from an isolation perspective, like a rowing variation or a pull-down variation. Maybe I just use direct isolation exercises like a power raise, elbow on the external rotation, or maybe even looking at it from a trap three raise to create that that eccentric strength, relatively speaking, from a pulling perspective to something that they're already organically stronger concentrically. And when we look at the next level is looking at inverted of that, maybe we look at something like a a narrow type that's going to be have a high disposition to be able to do pull-ups really well or do something like a uh like a deadlift or snatch grip deadlift really well maybe i need to utilize a strategy like backward sled drags which is essentially just a terminal knee extension a closed kinetic chain terminal knee extension maybe i need to utilize things like uh I think it's really easy to load the anterior part of the shoulder but you know maybe I need to utilize different types of of dumbbell variations or maybe even different FRC stuff like liftoffs and things to create tension in this area for a very long levered person and when I'm thinking about creating structural balance I have to understand where someone's going to have a higher propensity to we need to understand what that is to begin with. So what is their push and pull ratio? We need to understand where they're strong and where they're weak. And we need to understand where they're going to have a higher disposition to improve more rapidly based off of their body type. And if I double down, because one of the things, once you realize what you focus on, and I tell everyone, it's like roulette, that I can win big if I put all my money on black or a specific number. Let's just say 28, but I can also lose everything. So if I really increase my focus, increase my intensity towards that focus, then I'm increasing my probability of potentially winning big but also losing big. That I better have a really good reason why I'm putting all that focal point on eccentric, concentric, or isometric, or looking at developing a squat pattern, a hinge pattern, or certain patterns relatively speaking to what the athlete needs, because it's gonna have a lot more consequence if I if I'm wrong. So do your structural balance. Do your initial testing. Look at their RSI. Look at their impulse. Look at all the metrics you possibly can. Bet big and win big. That's what good coaching is. It just looks at it from the context of that. But understand what the shortcomings of that is. So if you have a very concentrically oriented person that's going to really develop quickly in squats and bench, you need to figure out strategies to increase their strength, relatively speaking, even if it is a long to short, short to long, isometric, eccentric, or concentric orientation for muscular groups or motor patterns that are inherently weaker based up their body type. And you might need to really think outside the box to load that up from an isometric eccentric component or thinking about it from an isolation component, which kind of leads into the progression side of things. So we talked about it in principles, long to short, short to long, and we could talk about it from the idea of what strength deficit is which is peaking for whatever quality that might need to be expressed in movement. So if I think about it from the context of not strength and weaknesses, is that the most successful people are going to be eccentrically oriented in certain position groups or sports, and the more successful people are going to be concentrically oriented in certain positions of sport. Or we can even say on the other end of isometric, right? We can look at someone like a um, a speed skater that has to hold or a downhill skier that has to hold certain positions for extended periods of time. A lot of eccentric strength, but a lot of yielding isometric, a lot of overcoming isometric, thinking about that in terms of what their sport is and their demands and trying to build a framework around that. But looking at it from a progression standpoint, strength deficit is this idea of, okay, what do they need to peak in? So if I'm a skilled guy, if I'm in space, I need to create eccentric peaking strategies so we can say that's a short to long strategy, that they're going to be more reactive, that they could be better in space, that they're going to have a shorter shorter, uh, higher RSI, shorter ground contact time when they run or they change direction versus a interior lineman. They're going to have to be better in close bases. They're going to be, have expressed higher impulse, they're going to have to be more consensually oriented. So I need to peak them I and they're going to be long to short. And long is a relative term by long, it might mean functional hypertrophy in a lot of regards because body mass for a lot of these guys really matters. So when we're thinking about it from the context of I'm using the framework and track and field, what I would do if everyone had to run 100 meters from a long to short, short to long, to football and trying to create some sort of framework to build into, okay, what are we thinking about from an eccentric, concentric peaking strategy and what I need to do? And it might mean the long and short are different. You know, from my long to short for a concentrically oriented interior lineman it might mean working hypertrophy, functional hypertrophy, and then peaking with strong man accommodating resistance. It might mean for short to long, or an out, a person who plays on the perimeter, doing a lot of sled pushes, doing a lot of things like concentrically oriented stuff in the weight room with high rates of force development into weight release hooks, bounding, speed cutting, wicket running, things that have a huge eccentric component, relatively speaking. It might mean all of that. And what I want you to guys think about out there is thinking about, again, what is your default? Do you max out on last day on back squat, bench, and deadlift? Is your output extremely concentrically limited? That Meaning that I can't accomplish a lift without some sort of concentric overcoming? Or is it actually built off this framework off of am I trying to pique this person for something that's relevant or specific to a sport? I don't really know. I don't really know what that reason why we might do that is, but I want you to think outside the box of that. And then think again, too, if I have a bunch of different body types that have a higher predisposition to being better at exercises, knowing where they're going to be good at over a longer period of time, but also understand where they're going to inherently come up short over that same period of time. So as you build out your framework and your model, you're thinking about their, their orientation. My mesomorph, my endomorph are going to be really good strength from a concentrically oriented standpoint in squats and benches. My narrows or my ectomorphs are going to be really good from a from a deadlift or pulling perspective. My progression from short or concentrically oriented to long for my narrows is going to have different types of focal points that my short is not going to be able to utilize squats and benches readily because you're just not going to be as proficient in it. So finding strategies from an isolation exercise standpoint or potentially different overcoming isometrics or different yielding isometrics or different even small, shorter eccentric but faster rates of eccentric into a really big elongated, high intensity, high speed eccentric stress. Versus that guy who's gonna really be good in terms of squats and bench, a concentrically oriented guy that I can really tap into. That, but understand that I might be become underdeveloped in my posterior chain, in my upper back, or my pulling exercises. That I'm just not as good as leveraging the eccentric component of a parallel muscle fiber versus a a pennate muscle fiber. And that's another conversation for another time. Which is, I got a lot of stuff on that through the website as well as in the book, but you can see this stuff a lot more readily and you can start to build frameworks a lot more efficiently and you become more adept at utilizing this stuff. And then from a programming standpoint, I, I, I think it's good to have this initial frame framework to understand from a training session. Okay. We'll say that we're going to do block prioritization, building stress through volume or building stress through intensity and saying that I want to get to a specific outcome, whether it's relative strength, functional hypertrophy, hypertrophy, or muscular endurance, I guess we should start with power, relative strength, functional hypertrophy, hypertrophy, or muscular endurance, and then start to kind of go back off this other idea of, well, if I start to think about, all right, well, if I need to get someone stronger eccentrically without increasing the body mass, probably going to have to stick with power and relative strength. So that probably means all your sets are going to be under 20 seconds. But I want to increase their eccentric strength so the majority of that time I'm working with that athlete needs to be spent eccentrically, you're going to utilize maybe a, a four or five, a 10-second eccentric, but it dictates how many reps you can do. And I think that's an important distinction. If I'm trying to improve someone's strength eccentrically without increasing their body mass for a, a short to long guy, a narrow guy, I need to cap at 20 seconds, but I need to improve that eccentric strength and when I reach that quote-unquote ceiling, I need to utilize methods or modalities that allow me to increase that eccentric strength even more. And I talk about a lot in terms of certain exercises of this weight release hook, or even something like flywheel. It can increase that eccentric demand to lead into hopefully a more robust eccentric contraction without overriding that functional hyper or that that relative strength or that power time on attention scale and staying at a maximal intensity versus that interior alignment that needs to improve his lean body mass increases concentric output i can utilize a lot longer time or attention but again majority of that time needs to be spent towards concentric orientation so you'll see a 1-0 you'll see a 2-0 tempo you might see an xxxx tempo meaning that i'm doing dynamic effort if i'm looking at things like total body movements like olympic lifts Then we think about, okay, well, how do I increase the eccentric strength? Maybe I do a little bit more time under tension from the loading perspective, right? So I might do some rhythm snatches. So I do like three or four RDLs and then go into a power snatch. You know, thinking about snatch is going to be inherently more eccentric because I've got a greater distance to go. So I need to create a lot more energy into the bar to travel that distance at a lighter weight versus a clean. Maybe coming off of blocks or from a really high position where I'm mechanically advantaged and catching in a power position. You know, that might be more concentrically oriented. And all I'm trying to say from the level of like strength deficit, short to long, long to short, looking at it from a peaking strategy, from a strength weaknesses or whatever it is relative to that sport from a GPP to SVP type of dynamic. It's this idea of how do I get a layer in concentric and eccentric stuff or isometric stuff? it has to have some sort of a semblance of rational logic. And there has to be some sort of understanding of where someone's inherent strengths and weaknesses are and where we can leverage that to build a really robust and well-rounded program. Again, as you're diving into this and this concept, there's a lot of really cool resources on this. Um, you Just go all the way back to super training. Uh, you can look at science and practice. You can look at even something like triphasic training by Cal Dietz. You know, just really good thoughts and really good things to get you thinking uh but i would say get outside of the, the thought process of a very sagittal or vertical or horizontal vector stuff look at gary gray look at todd wright you know look at that look at that as a dynamic some model to think outside the box to think can i load effectively and unload or create some sort of some sort of propulsion strategy or loading strategy effectively in all three planes of motion and all vectors and think about the unbelievable amount of tools that we potentially have at our disposal to be able to do that now relative than ever you know looking at something like Franz bosch and the motor learning where you look at with different positional constraints and creating this dynamic of i guess contextual i think you would term it interference of we're trying to create deliberate deliberately more challenging situations for motor patterns that, you know, are not rehearsed. They're just expanded. Right. So a running, a backpedal, a backward run, a shuffle, a jump, a bound, all three planes of motion with different different loading strategies of a thorax or different different types of dynamics on the feet or uh, I are just open ended versus closed environments. You know, these are all things that I think we should be thinking about in line with the eccentric loading parameters, right? And getting away from this arbitrary 60-30-10 concentric-eccentric-isometric ratio and thinking, okay, if I'm doing bounding, if I'm doing death jumps, there's a huge eccentric load there. If I'm doing small-sided games, there's going to be more eccentric load there than there is in doing programmed agilities. Thinking about in the weight room that if I'm going to utilize eccentric eccentric strategies like weight release hooks or even like an oscillating bar like a bamboo bar or tsunami bar versus using a barbell with combinating resistance that's going to be concentrically oriented that that ratio is going to be manipulated that if i'm going to use a non counter movement strategy prior to using a counter movement strategy does that equate to one or another if i'm going to utilize all three planes of motion and understanding the motor pattern is probably the weakest limiting fact, the lowest common denominator that's going to be the rate limiting step that I need to increase that motor pattern before I can really get the value of eccentric and strength, but do I have the courage to push through to get that motor pattern developed? And then adding in different outcomes, right? So maybe I use a little aqua bag, maybe I use a med ball in a various position, maybe I use a dowel, maybe I use a viper, maybe I use a Kaiser, maybe I use some flywheel, maybe I use a, a cable-based flywheel. It all is the same. But one's gonna have more eccentric, isometric, eccentric, where does that fall in, in terms of the ratio is dependent upon what the goal is and where you want to build that that outcome is. So I hope all this is starting to resonate and make sense. Hopefully it starts to land a little bit more when we get into the practical and how I'm thinking about deliberately creating concentric output with a NFL offensive lineman and you know leading into that direction of creating a really robust plan for your athletes. So I appreciate you guys listening. Make sure you guys check out the module, I think it'll help a lot. As well as check out the book, Strength Deficit, which is coming out here very shortly. Thank you again, guys. And we'll see you next week.